Well, good to see you guys once again. Uh, if you're watching online, thanks for tuning in. Uh, for all of you, if you have a Bible with you or on your phone, go ahead and go with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians 3. If you don't know where that is, feel free to stop by the table of contents. Uh, it'll be just a few minutes before we get there. Um, today, the plan is to wrap up this seven-week series that we've been in all about the topic of work and how we think about and approach our work as followers of Jesus. Uh, for me, it's been really cool to have conversations with so many of you in our church family and just hear how God is using this series and the teachings of the scriptures to really to shape and reshape how you think about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. It's been really cool to have those conversations with you. Uh, today, I want us to conclude, I want us to wrap things up in the series by giving what may come across as a very direct challenge, maybe even more like a confrontation to some of us, which means there may be times today during the teaching where you're like, is Kent mad at us? He seems aggressive. Is he mad at us? The truth is, I am not mad at you. I'm fresh off of two weeks of not preaching, one week of vacation. I'm actually in a great spot, so I'm not mad in the least. Uh, but the thing that we're going to talk about today, the scriptures are very direct about. And at times, they even come across as confrontational about it. And, and so if it's okay, I'm just going to let the tone of the scriptures be our tone this morning, okay? I, I'm just going to do my best to unpack what we see in the scriptures, and then I'm just going to kind of let it land where it needs to land. Does that make sense? Okay, so in order to do that, we are actually going to be looking at three different passages of Scripture this morning. Normally, we kind of focus in on just one. Today, we're going to do three, because I really need for you to see that what we're going to talk about today is not a one-off sort of thing in the Scriptures. It's actually a theme. It's, it's a point of emphasis in the Bible that I need us to understand the importance of. But in order to do that, we're going to need to go to three different places in the Bible. So if you consider yourself an expert level Bible flipper, uh, you are welcome to flip to all three passages with us in your Bibles. If you're just really good at that sort of thing, you were like a Bible drill champion coming up in the church or whatever, uh, you're welcome to do that. Uh, or for today, we'll actually have the entirety of these passages up on the screen. So if you'd rather do that, if Bible flipping is not really your thing, if you're newer to the Bible, you can follow along up there. But let's get started with 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's start reading in verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Okay, stop right there. So that word idleness that just got used in this verse describes someone who walks through life in an undisciplined and irresponsible sort of way. It's someone who forsakes the work that they were given to do in life. When, when someone consistently isn't taking care of the responsibilities that they've been given to do, and therefore, they have excess time and energy on their hands as a result. The Bible calls that idleness. So just to be clear, idleness is very different than rest. 
So a few weeks ago in this series, we talked about the idea of rest in the Bible. Rest, according to the scriptures, is where you work really hard most of the time, and then you take an intentional, limited amount of time off of work to rest from your work. But you're doing that in such a way that it re-energizes you, it replenishes you, and makes you actually excited and looking forward to getting back to work as a result. That's rest. Idleness is not that. Idleness is when you regularly shirk off responsibility, sort of like you have an aversion to work, like you're allergic to responsibility. That's what idleness is. Do you see the difference between idleness and rest? Somewhat? Maybe a couple head nods? Yeah, got a couple head nods. Cool. So that's the difference between idleness and rest. Here, what Paul is talking about, the author, is idleness. Now, he's going to continue to unpack that idea a little bit more here in a few, but first, he contrasts this idea of idleness with his own posture towards work from back when he was with this church in person. So look with me, continuing in verse 7 of our passage. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Verse 8, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right. In other words, it's not that we didn't have the right to collect financial support from you, but instead to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So a little context here on what Paul's talking about. Paul, the author of 2 Thessalonians, is an itinerant church starter, so to speak. He travels from city to city, he tells people about Jesus, and then once people respond to that message about Jesus, he will start a church or community of Jesus followers in that area. So the Thessalonian church was one of those churches that Paul started. So the point that he's making in this passage is that he did have a right to receive financial support from this church in Thessalonica, since after all, he was working for the church itself. But he chose not to receive that financial support, even though he could, simply so that no one could say that he was idle. Or put positively, He did this so that the Thessalonians would have an example to follow when it comes to what it looks like to work hard and take responsibility for oneself. Paul so passionately wants them to learn this attitude towards their work and responsibility that he is willing to work an extra job on the side just so they have an example to follow in it. In other words, Paul thinks it is a very good thing to have the weight of responsibility on your shoulders. He thinks that a certain amount of pressure, so to speak, to provide for ourselves in life can actually be a very helpful thing for human beings to have. To the point that he then says, if a person has the ability to work, if they can work, but they refuse to work out of laziness or idleness, He says that hunger should motivate them to work. He says if someone will not work, let him not eat. The potential of starvation should push that person to start working and taking responsibility for themselves. Paul just lays that on them real quick in this passage. 
And next, he describes the problem that occurs when people are not willing to work. Take a look at verse 11 with me. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but instead are busy bodies. Okay, uh, probably nobody in this room has used the word busybody, at least not since like the 1960s or so. So let's talk a little bit about that term. What does it mean to be a busybody? In the context of this passage, being a busybody means literally to waste your labor on something. One lexicon defined it as to busy oneself about trifling, needless, and useless matters. One commentator used the word meddling, which I think is a helpful picture. Being a busybody is when you meddle in the private affairs of other people. It's when someone is way too involved in other people's business as a regular pattern. And just think, Paul thought this was an issue before Facebook ever existed. Imagine what he would say about our society today in terms of being involved in other people's business, right? But here's the idea. When people aren't stepping into their God-ordained work and responsibilities in life, they now have this excess energy to burn. And some people are in turn using that excess energy to become over-involved in things that they have no business being involved in. Because they're not spending their energy on what, what it was meant for, they're spending it on useless things instead. Does that make sense? That's the problem that Paul sees here. So that's the problem. Let's talk about the solution that he gives us. Verse 12 in our passage. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So the solution that Paul offers here is very simple, very straightforward. These people who are idle should take responsibility for themselves and they should earn their own living and then they won't have any of this excess energy to waste on useless and pointless things, to get over-involved in the business of other people. In other words, you should work so that you're not idle. That's his solution. Simple enough, right? Okay, let me show you one other passage that makes a very similar point to this one. This one is from 1 Timothy 5, if you want to go with us there. 1 Timothy chapter 5. So the book of 1 Timothy in the Bible, if you're unfamiliar with it, is a book written by the same guy as Thessalonians, so the Apostle Paul. But this time, Paul is writing to a younger leader named Timothy. And he's writing about how Timothy should lead the church that he's been given charge of. And in the portion of 1 Timothy that we're about to read, Paul is actually giving some instruction to this guy, Timothy, on how he should run a sort of benevolence ministry that they have going in that church. Specifically, it's a benevolence ministry for women who had been widowed. So back then, even more so than today, when a woman's husband passed away, that often would leave her very financially vulnerable. And the church here in Ephesus was trying to see to it that they could help provide for women in that type of scenario. Obviously a very helpful, very important thing for followers of Jesus to be a part of. But in this passage, in what we're about to read, Paul actually wants to give Timothy one thing to watch out for as they go about that benevolence ministry. Apparently, there were some women in this society who wanted to take advantage of this ministry for selfish purposes. So take a look with me at 1 Timothy 5, starting in verse 9. It says, let a widow be enrolled, meaning 
let her have access to this financial support that's available if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she, has been brought, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Meaning, if she has shown in herself an eagerness to participate in valuable kingdom work and to take responsibility for herself and those around her, if that's true of her, then give her this financial support. Verse 11, but... Refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Okay, so obviously there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there that we could pick apart, probably a lot that we could get hung up on. But in short, Paul's point in what we just read is that when there are women in the church who need financial assistance, the church should give them financial assistance. But when there are women who are able to provide for themselves and are just wanting to use the church financially to provide for them so that they can in turn be idle, Paul says that the church should not provide them with a means to do that. And the reason for his wisdom here, again, is that it's actually not good for human beings to be without responsibility. That's actually not a good thing for us. It doesn't lead to good things. And if you eliminate people's responsibilities for them unnecessarily, their passions and their excess energy may lead them in unhealthy directions as a result. And in this case, he's specifically talking about women who end up marrying men that draw them away from following Jesus. Then he continues, verse 13 in our passage. Besides that, they learn to be idlers. Hopefully that term sounds familiar to you. They learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies. There's our other word from 2 Thessalonians, saying what they should not. So hear him correctly on this, ladies. Paul is not trying to say that all women gossip. Okay, this is not his version of like a women be shopping comment or something like that. That's not what Paul is getting at here in this passage. But he is saying once again that when people are idle, when they have excess energy to burn and no responsibilities to give that energy to, they will spend that energy on something. And apparently one thing that some women in this context were spending that energy on was gossiping and overly concerning themselves with other people's business. They had become gossips and busybodies, Paul says. So this is actually very similar to what Paul said about men and women back in 2 Thessalonians. He says, your responsibilities in life need to correspond with your energy. And when they don't, you will have energy, but no appropriate outlet for that energy. And when that happens, Paul says, we are vulnerable to things like over-involvement in other people's lives, gossip, and even apparently lapses in sexual integrity, according to 1 Timothy 5. Now, once again, Paul prescribes a very simple, very straightforward solution to this problem. Look with me at verse 14. He says, so I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. So 
just in case that threw you off, uh, Paul is not trying to say that getting married and having babies is the solution for sin, okay? Just to make sure we're all abundantly clear on that. Culturally, at this time, women did not have many other options in terms of employment. So this is simply a way of saying that these women who can handle responsibilities should take on those responsibilities as a way of guarding against idleness in their life on a regular basis. So once again, the solution to idleness is the appropriate level of work and responsibility. That's his point. Okay, let's do one more passage and then we'll zoom out and talk a little bit about what all of this means for us in our society today. This one is from 2 Samuel in the Old Testament, chapter 11. This time, what we're going to read is not so much instruction or teaching on idleness and work. It's actually a story about idleness. Specifically, it's an example of a time when idleness in one man's life led to all sorts of horrible things as a result. For context, if you're familiar with the story, this is the beginning of a popular story in the Old Testament about David's adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. What we're going to read about here is where all of that situation started. So take a look with me, 2 Samuel 11, starting in verse 1. It says, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all of Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So don't miss the detail in that verse. It says, at the time when kings go out to battle, David was a king. But where is David in this story? Is he out at battle? Nope. It says he remained in Jerusalem. So David neglected and passed off his responsibilities to other people and stayed idle instead at home. So we're off to a rocky start in this story already. Keep reading with me in verse 2. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. Where did he arise from? His couch. I've found that the couch tends to be a favorite location of idle people, right? So he was on his couch. They got up and he was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman and one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David is at home, he's idle, he's passed off his responsibilities and so he decides to go out for a walk on the rooftop where he sees a woman bathing. This woman happens to be the wife of one of his commanding officers out at war. So David is not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's not bearing the appropriate level of responsibility for a king. So he's entirely unburdened by work and responsibility. So he has energy to burn. And so he starts to lust after another man's wife. And if you know the story, David proceeds to use his power and his influence to take advantage of Bathsheba. He gets her pregnant and then has her husband, his commanding officer, murdered to cover it all up. And in the story of the Bible, in the grander story, this begins a generational breakdown in David's family that takes them generations to recover from. And it all starts... Because David's energy is not balanced by his responsibilities. 
David had responsibilities to tend to, but when he neglected them, his life and his family's life started going off the rails as a result. Now, the point is not to say that if you are idle, you will end up sleeping with another man's wife and committing murder. Obviously, it doesn't always get that far, right? But at the same time, the point is to say that idleness will always lead to unproductive things and sometimes can lead to outright destructive things in your life and the life of other people. So here's the point. With all three of these passages that we've just looked at, the very same idea is at play in each one of them. That your energy is meant to be spent taking responsibility for yourself and for others around you. It is meant to be spent on the responsibilities that God has put in front of you and called you to do. So when you choose to neglect those types of responsibilities, trouble is usually close behind. You will inevitably start to spend that time and that energy and that effort on unfruitful, unhelpful, or maybe even outright unfaithful sorts of things. So we see this type of situation play out so often in our society. Even if we wouldn't have had the framework or the language for it before now, we see this happen all the time. How many times have we seen a family do really well for themselves financially? They get really wealthy to the point where the kids in that family don't have to work at all. They can just live off the dividends, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with coming from a wealthy family, nothing wrong with that at all. But often, when these kids from these wealthy families don't have responsibilities of some sort in their life, it does not take long before those kids start running their life off the rails, right? I mean, how many times have we seen that happen? How many times have we seen celebrities who make millions of dollars off of a couple movies just decide to stop working altogether and just live off of what they've already made? And how long is it before these same celebrities start to become addicted to substances or participate in any number of other destructive behaviors as a result of not having regular responsibility? I'm not saying this is the only thing at play, but I am saying it's a significant thing at play a lot of times when this happens. And what's happening in those situations quite often is idleness. At least an awful lot of the time, it's that these people are living a life without work, without responsibility, and because they have that excess energy to burn, they waste it on things that end up being very destructive to themselves and to other people which is exactly what the scriptures teach will happen if we neglect our God-given work and responsibility. But this doesn't just happen in the lives of rich kids and celebrities, not at all, not by a long shot. It actually happens in all sorts of people. Uh, I've seen men I know land really well-paying jobs that require very few office hours, very few responsibilities from them, and as a result, they just start buying thing after thing that they don't really need. So a third car, a classic car, a fourth motorcycle, a boat that they're going to use two times a year at the most. It doesn't take long at all for a lack of work and a lack of responsibility to lead to materialism and financial excess, which the scriptures say is how people end up, quote, wandering away from the faith and piercing themselves with many pangs. That's the language of First Timothy. I've seen some women become moms 
but not really want to be full-time moms, and at the same time, not really want to work a job either. So their husband finds some kind of good-paying job where he can bring home the paycheck, she doesn't have to work, and they can just pay for full-time childcare for their kids. So, so the wife has a completely wide-open schedule, no responsibilities at all, and instead of giving that free time to something worthwhile, to meaningful relationships, to important work in her city, instead of using her spare time for that, she chooses instead to just grab coffee or drinks with people nonstop where they gossip about other people or to go out and spend money that they don't have on things that she doesn't need or any number of other things as a result. I've seen single men say that they're gonna take a few years off after college where they decide to move back in with their parents rent-free or move into a house with like 12 other guys where they each pay like $8 a month for rent or whatever it is. And, and usually when that happens, what ends up happening is those days are made up of a lot of part-time jobs, a lot of video games, a lot of cheap beer, and a lot of enjoying their parents' medical insurance, right? And more often than not, shockingly, those years don't end up being stellar years for those guys' maturity or spiritual growth. For some people, I've seen idleness lead to a preoccupation with sports. So reading every article, every scouting report, every recruiting update they can get their hands on. I've seen it lead to some people being overly concerned with politics, getting tangled up regularly in really pointless political debates online and arguments, spreading political misinformation on Facebook. For some people, I've even seen idleness lead to a really bizarre infatuation with pointless theological debates. Like all of a sudden, they start devoting their time to nitpicking aspects of theology that have very little practical relevance and really only matter to them and their sort of small theological tribe on the internet. Uh, this one may get a lot of us. I think idleness is what has a lot of us addicted to social media. I know a lot of good happens on Instagram and Facebook and all of that, so don't hear me knocking that but have you ever considered what it is that so often drives us towards social media? Often, it's that we find ourselves at a point where we don't have a ton going on in our lives. We're sort of bored with our lives, at least in the moment. So we start scrolling and concerning ourselves with what other people have going on in their lives because their lives are a little more interesting than ours, at least at the moment. Am I lying? And this is what a lot of us do when it comes to social media. And then we often wonder why we start getting jealous of people that we follow on social media because they have more going on than us. But isn't that kind of what made us log on in the first place? That we were hoping somebody else's life would be a little more interesting than us? Shocking that that would lead to any sort of discontentment in our life. I think this is what pushes so many people towards watching porn and using apps to hook up with people that they meet online. Obviously, both of those things are driven by sexual desire and lust on some level, but I think really often it's actually lust accompanied by idleness. Just like David on his roof, when we're idle, we start looking for somewhere else to burn that excess energy. And for a lot of people, porn or sex become the outlets of choice. This one requires some nuance. 
But I think idleness is also the driving force behind hobbies for a lot of people. Things like reading, traveling, exercising, gardening. Obviously, it's not wrong to have hobbies. Often, it's a really healthy thing to have hobbies. But I am saying if you're throwing large amounts of time and energy and money and effort in your life into your hobbies, but neglecting to throw an appropriate amount of time, effort, and energy into your work or into things that have eternal significance, something's off there. So listen, I I could go on with examples. I I think, in fact, I've probably already gone on too long with examples, but I think you're starting to get the idea with this. God has given each one of us a certain amount of time and energy to give to things that matter in our world, to give to our work in a lot of ways. But when we don't spend that energy on worthwhile things, we often give it to things that at best are pointless and a waste of time and at worst are outright destructive to us and other people. Now, Maybe your gut reaction is to hear all of this and go, no, 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 I hear you. I've seen that happen in people, but that is not me. This is not my problem. Uh, I have so much going on in my life. I have too much going on in my life. In fact, I wish I had time for some idleness. Where do I sign up for some idleness, right? Like maybe that's where some of us are at. Maybe some of us don't feel like we have any time for idleness at all. And, And maybe that's true. You might be right. This, all of this that we're talking about today may not be an appropriate picture of your life. It may not be an accurate picture of your life at all. Your life may be off kilter in the other direction. You have too much to get done and not enough energy. That's entirely possible. But at the same time, I think for some of us, this actually is true of us and we just don't recognize it as such. I think sometimes our our tendency towards self-deception actually keeps us from seeing this as a problem in our life. And maybe for us, it's not that we just have large sections of uninterrupted idle time in our life and, and we're not doing anything with all of that time. Maybe for some of us, it's just five minutes here, 15 minutes here, 30 minutes here, two hours on Netflix before we go to bed, right? So maybe for some of us, it's actually just a lot of idleness, but when you actually add it up, Turns out you spend a lot of your life being idle. So, just in an effort to appropriately convict and offend everyone, myself included, uh, let me rattle off some scenarios that might expose idleness in our lives, whether or not we would have previously recognized it as idleness, okay? This should be fun. And by fun, I mean not fun at all and mostly convicting. So let's just... Let's just run through these uh, and just see what the Spirit exposes in us. Um, Some identifiers of idleness in your life could be, if you have not read your Bible this week, but you have watched a TV show, if you have not had an intentional conversation with someone, but you have scrolled through social media, If you have checked in on the recruiting for your favorite sports team, but you haven't checked in on your roommate or friends. If you have put in some effort to get better at your hobbies, but have not put in effort to get better at your job. If people at work do not seek your expertise on work-related items and issues, but they do seek your expertise on breaking down the latest popular movie 
or celebrity gossip. If you've not set aside time for prayer today, but you have listened to Taylor Swift's new album twice, it's a good album. I'm not saying it's not. It's a great album. I'm just saying it's not as important as prayer. Does that make sense? Not hating on Tay Swift. Lord knows she gets hated on way too much, right? If you've spent time critiquing, arguing, and judging other people on social media, but you have not spent time asking the Holy Spirit where you need to grow and repent. If you haven't checked in to see how someone in your life group is doing this week, but you have made it all the way to chapter six of Red Dead Redemption 2. I like to make it really specific just in case somebody's like, I am on chapter six of Red Dead Redemption 2. That's crazy. Uh, A couple more. If you have spent more time making your house look like Chip and Joanna's house than making your marriage look like Jesus and the church. Last one. If you cannot be committed to being around other followers of Jesus and living in relationship with them, but you can be committed to binging an entire season of something on Netflix. And we can keep going, right? I won't because I think most of us get the point and most of us, myself included, are sufficiently convicted on this. And listen, I I don't say any of this to heap guilt on you or make you feel terrible about your life. That is not my heart in this at all. I simply bring it up because I think many of us have convinced ourselves that we don't have time or energy or bandwidth in our lives for kingdom things. And it's actually just that we've given a decent chunk of our time and energy to things that ultimately don't matter much at all. Not in eternity. So the question is what do we do about all of this? If we find ourselves with with excess energy to burn over and above the responsibilities that we've been given in life, what is the healthy way to expend that time and energy instead? I think what Paul would suggest is expending it all on what we might call kingdom work. Kingdom work. So that would be things like contributing to your own spiritual growth, spending time in the scriptures. And if you already do that on a regular basis, reading books and listening to podcasts that help you grow in your relationship with Jesus through the scriptures. Things like contributing to other people's spiritual growth, making your life group a priority in your schedule and checking in with people from your life group throughout the week to see how they're doing and how you can speak life and encouragement and hope into their lives. Things like pouring into your spouse or kids or roommates or whatever it is. Things like going out of your way to build relationships with people in your circles of influence, at your job, at your work that don't know Jesus. Building relationships with them. Things like serving with us on Sundays as one of our gathering teams. Things like giving your time and energy to any number of the great nonprofits doing incredible work in our city. One way or another... It looks like giving your spare time and energy to what we might call kingdom work, to giving your time and energy to things that matter instead of things that don't. God did not create any of us to sit. 
He did not create us to be idle. He created us to join him in putting the world back together and restoring the world to the way he designed it to be, to join him in that mission. And in that mission, there's just not a lot of room for idleness. So I'll just wrap up here for our time today. Um, I can still remember back when we were starting City Church. Um, Jeff, one of the other pastors, and I had, had set some meetings with some various pastors and church leaders um, to, to kind of get their wisdom on starting our church, but also to, to see if they might be interested in supporting with prayer financially what we were doing through City Church. And I, I remember this one specific fundraising meeting that we had with another pastor. This pastor had started a church in a fairly wealthy part of his city, and part of the city that kind of overlooked the lake. It was a lakeside community. He had us meet him at a restaurant that just sort of set up on the hill overlooking a marina on this lake. It was beautiful. It's like the nicest place I've ever been to for lunch, and he paid, which was fantastic. But we were having lunch with him on just a normal Monday. So not a weekend, not a holiday, Nothing like that, just a Monday for lunch. And we're sitting up on this hill having lunch together and we look out and I kid you not, you would have thought it was July 4th weekend on the lake. I mean, it was like, it was like spring break for 30 through 50 year olds out on the lake. Like just people were having a great time. The music was bumping, the drinks were being poured. I mean, so many people were out on the lake. And we were sitting at this restaurant, sitting at this table. We didn't ask the other pastor who had planted a church in this neighborhood, in this area. We didn't ask him a single thing about it, but we were all watching this go down. And he just said to us while staring out at the lake, he said, you know, never in my life have I met a group of people more devoted to leisure than in this part of town. And I'll be honest, that sentence has stuck with me ever since. I cannot get that out of my head. Not because I have some sort of contempt for people that live in wealthy suburbs or on the lake, right? If you have a lake house, I would love an invite. I would love to come hang out with you on the lake. There's nothing wrong with you living on the lake at all. But it's stuck with me because it has caused me to continually ask myself, am I more devoted to leisure than the things that matter? Am I more devoted to the latest Netflix show than I am to the people in my life? Am I more devoted to the latest social media outrage about something than I am to contributing to the good of my city and my world? That comment from that pastor that day on the lake has put a fire under me. Because I don't know about you guys, but when I get to the end of my life, I don't want people to say about me, you know, that Kent, he sure was devoted to leisure. He sure did have a cool boat. He sure was really good at Halo. Man, he was called up. He could analyze all the latest Netflix shows for sure. I don't want people saying any of those things about me. First and foremost, I want God saying about me, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then if anything is said about me by other people, I want it to be said about me that I poured my life out in service to God and in love for other people. 
I want it to be that people in our world are closer to Jesus because of the effort I put in, in their life. I want it to be that I did whatever I could at all times to bring the kingdom of God to bear on earth as it is in heaven. That's what I want people to say about me, if anything. And I want those things to be true of our entire community at City Church. I I want us to live into the God-given work and responsibilities that he has given us and join God in taking the world somewhere through our efforts. So as we wrap up this series, can, can we just pray that the Holy Spirit would make that true of us? That the Holy Spirit would would make us into a people who pour out our lives for the good of those around us and for the good of the kingdom. To devoting ourselves to the things that matter, to giving our effort and energy and resources to the things that matter and will last until eternity. That's what I want to pray for for our community. Let's pray together as we conclude. Father, um, as we wrap up this series, I want to thank you for work. God, that's probably something that I and a lot of people don't spend enough time thanking you for is work, for the ability to, to join you in taking the world somewhere. God, it's not always easy to to see our work like that and we we get that and and we're going to need a lot of your Spirit's help to to transform and and inform how we think about our work and our day-to-day. But God, we, we thank you for giving us something to do. God, we thank you that you care about uh, all of our life, not just what we consider the spiritual parts of our life. God, that all of it matters. And so God, in in light of that understanding of our work, um, I just want to ask that we would um, be willing to spot and identify and call out idleness in our day-to-day rhythms. God, that we wouldn't believe the lie that the point of life is just to work until five o'clock and then do nothing until the next morning. God, you have a much bigger purpose for us than that. And so God, we ask that you would, um, that you would convict, that you would expose, but God, also that you would um, help us come face to face with Jesus, who is the answer to all of our sin. God, he is what we're chasing for and a million other things. And so God, for, for every look we take at our sin, I pray that we would take 10 looks at Jesus. God, that we would see him as 
Not as someone who's ready to condemn us or shout down at us, but someone who is willing to pay for our sin and invite us into life to the full. So God, as we move into a time where we get to celebrate that reality, how near you are to us, how close you are to us, how present you've made yourself through Jesus. God, I pray that that reality would take root in our souls, that it would seep down deep into how we approach life, into how we think about ourselves, into how we think about other people, how we think about our work. God, and I pray that that would transform it all from the ground up. God, we need you. We ask your spirit to speak. We're listening. It's in your name. Amen.